After Paul's command in verse 15, which is, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you've been called in one body, and be thankful, Paul progresses into another command. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So Paul is saying, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. How? Through teaching and admonishing in worship centered around Old Testament psalms. Now, this may be the instrumentation by which the peace of Christ from verse 15 um, uh, reigns over the church. How? By letting the Word of Christ rule in us. So this seems to be perhaps crucial to peace as well in the church. Um, The Word of Christ could be a subjective genitive, a word spoken by Christ, or an objective genitive, word about Christ. Uh, You can point to a number of Pauline parallels uh, to support both. Um, on balance, Word of Christ, uh, maybe both, as Dan Wallace has, and people often appeal to it. To, I call it the pregnant genitive. He calls it the plenary genitive. Um, but in this case, both objective and subjective uh, may be the case. Someone like James Dunn has said it may be best not to try to specify one over the other. Uh, so there may be an intentional ambiguity. However, Colossians 2.3 speaks of in Christ, that is in Him, are all the treasures of wisdom hidden. And I think that tips the scales to a focus on a subjective genitive or a genitive of source here uh, because we have uh, our phrase in uh, Colossians 3.16, we, we have let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. So you have this notion of riches with wisdom This is likely developing chapter 2 and verse 3, which is quoting Proverbs at that point. And so uh, uh, Christ is the source of wisdom. Perhaps in mind are Christ's revelatory words spoken by believers through Christ's Spirit in the early church worship gatherings. Um, May also refer to uh, Paul's own words in his letters, uh, which at points are seen as equated with God's Word or Scripture, you think of Second Peter 3, uh, are reviewed as from the Spirit. I have a number of passages here for that. But I think mainly in focus here are, are, are not uh, those two options. Um, I think especially in mind is Christ's Word expressed through Old Testament Psalms that are read among believers and meditated upon. Now, this phrase, in all wisdom, in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, uh, uh, as I say, likely develops chapter 2 and verse 3, again, which says uh, that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. So Christ's own word of wisdom, then, is in mind in contrast to the pseudo-wisdom of the false teachers who dilute the centrality of Christ and His word. Uh, and that, that uh, really calls to mind the background of false teaching in, in the epistle 
and at a number of points, uh, I think there is a false teaching. Everybody admits there is for the most part. Uh, some see it as more specific. Some see it as more general. At any rate, there is false teaching, and, I, and, and they're claiming a certain wisdom, and I think uh, Christ's wisdom is contrasted with theirs. Now, the parallel in Ephesians 3.17, quote, of Christ dwelling in your hearts through faith refers to the prevailing presence of Christ in the inner man. Now, the same parallel suggests that Christ indwelling word in verse 16, here it's enoikeo, there in Ephesians it's katoikeo, um, but the parallel suggests that Christ indwelling word in our passage in verse 16 should be the prevailing influence in the believers, which, um, which is then further specified as singing what amounts to Christ's word in your hearts. And uh, just as the peace of Christ that's just preceded in verse 15 was to be an ongoing predominant influence uh, in believers, so it is the case with the indwelling Word of Christ. That is to be a predominant uh, uh, influence uh, consistently in our lives with one another as believers, especially in church. The uh, teaching and admonishing, let's read it again, let the Word of Christ uh, dwelling you richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. These are adverbial participles modifying uh, to uh, uh, dwell in oikeo. And um, probably could be a participle of means, but um, we, we might be splitting the onion layers too thin here. I think rather it's manner, uh, teaching and admonishing in the manner. Uh, of, uh, that is, let, let the Word of Christ uh, dwell in you in the manner of teaching and admonishing. And these same two participles occurred uh, in chapter 1 and verse 28. Uh, and there it specified that the teaching focused on counsel about avoiding a wrong course of action inspired by the false teaching, especially the word admonish. Now, this meaning is important in light of the preceding cautions, again, about the false teaching, explicitly uh, given as a caution in chapter 2 and verse 4, where it says, uh, don't be deluded by false teaching. Verse 8, don't be captivated by it. Uh, and it's implied elsewhere in the epistle. Now, in chapter 1 and verse 9, Paul has prayed that the readers would be, quote, filled with the knowledge of his will, that is, God's will and all wisdom, and he sees his efforts of admonishing and teaching in all wisdom in chapter 1 and verse 28 as uh, one of the ways that his prayer in 1.9 will be answered. Now, the same verbatim expression, that is, teaching and admonishing in all wisdom for 1.28 is repeated in our passage. So, again, it's developing that passage, uh, which means the false teaching is somewhat in the background. So, that same verbatim expression from 1.28 is used again here in 3.16. Presumably because Paul thinks his prayer of 1-9 uh, will also be answered if the believers, quote, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing. So this, this verse would continue to be one in addition to one twenty eight that would answer that prayer in uh, verse 9. Now the content of the teaching and admonishing here uh, is in all wisdom and in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, the latter of which all refer as I'm going to argue, to Old Testament psalms are based on such psalms, a part of the Bible of the early church. Um, the close syntactical combination of psalm, psalmos, and hymn, humnos, and song, ode, 
within the space of one verse occurs only two times in the Psalter. That is in the Septuagint of Psalm 66.1 and 75.1. In both Psalms, the three words are placed directly next to one another without a conjunctive kind, without an, art, an article before any of the words as, as we have in Colossians 3.16. Um, however, song is placed first in the order and two of the words are in different case forms and are in the singular instead of plural as in Colossians. The syntax of the wording of these two psalms could be different than in Colossians since it's possible to punctuate, for example, uh, Psalm 66.1 in the following way, quote, among hymns, period, a psalm, period, of an ode, period. That's the way the New English uh, uh, translation of Septuagint uh, translates it. They, they do give a marginal reading closer in line with that of Colossians, quote, a psalm accompanied by a song of praise, praise rendering ode. The most formally equivalent reading would be in my view, among hymns, a psalm of a song. Now, uh, the Nets translation renders Psalm 75.1 as, quote, among hymns, period, a psalm, period, pertaining to Asaph, and ode, period. The three words in Colossians may be plural, since the allusion is to both psalms as representing the whole corpus of psalms. So we're dealing with an allusion. How do you decide what an allusion is? Um, there's a lot of debate. Uh, I think that if you can see a combination of words, um, sometimes just two, but in this case three, that are found only in one or two places uh, and only found in uh, the New Testament in one or two places. By the way, this is also found in Ephesians. Our passage is. Uh, I, th I think we do have an illusion. And as we're going to see, the context, uh, you, you go by unique combination of words as well as what's the theme of the context. As we're going to see, I think the theme of the two psalms uh, resonates with the theme of Colossians. The three words in Colossians, as I say, may be plural because they're, uh, they're alluding to both the psalms as, as a synecdoche representing all of the psalms. Strikingly, both psalms also mention eschatological salvations of Gentiles. And here's the theme. Uh, it's a theme not far away in Colossians. For example, chapter 3, verse 11, there's neither Jew nor Greek, etc., uh, Psalm 66 highlights this in six of its eight verses. For example, verse 3, quote, that we may know your way upon the earth among all nations, your salvation. And Psalm 75 mentions it in verse 10, um, to save all the meek of the earth. Consequently, the threefold wording of the two psalms would appear to be reflected in Colossians 3.16, not only because the combination occurs only in the Old Testament in those two psalms, but also partly because of the connection to Gentile salvation, a theme not far away, as we said in Colossians, uh, indeed in 3.11. In this respect, saved Gentiles are certainly included among the ones who are to follow Paul's instruction in verse 16. Furthermore, is it coincidental that the threefold lexical combination referring to Psalms in the superscription of Psalm 66.1 uh, is directly followed by an allusion to the ironic blessing that comes from the tabernacle, that blessing from Numbers 6, 25 to 26. May the Lord bless you. This is the wording of the psalm. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and show mercy to you. The blessing that comes from the tabernacle. Uh, similarly, after the same superscription containing the threefold psalm reference in Psalm 75, 1, in the Septuagint, verse 3 also refers to the temple. Quote, 
in his, that is, God's place was in peace and his dwelling place was in Zion. So both superscriptions introduce psalms that begin with reference uh, uh, to God being in the temple and they have uh, Gentile concerns. According to when, Genesis, when Colossians 3.16 concludes its reference to, quote, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with, quote, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God, the reference may be to worship directed to God in His heavenly temple. Because in 3.1, we've just had reference to Christ being in heaven. And in 4.1, again, Christ residing in heaven. And this would certainly fit with the earlier references to the temple in the epistle that we have observed. Uh, I, I can't go over it now. I have a commentary coming out in the Becknut series. Uh, I think the, the rough draft of it is, is here in the Baker booth. It will come out in April. But uh, I argue that in uh, 1, 9 through 10, there's a temple illusion in 119, in 2, 9 through 10, and a temple illusion with regard to how the false teachers view the temple in chapter 2 and verse 18. So temple is in, on Paul's mind, not just mine. So... Um, <laughs> Some would say, well, you've read it into his mind. Okay. In the light of these preceding references to the temple, especially in 2.18, part of the point here would be that believers in their worship have no need of special visions of angels nor worship of angels. Here, remember, that's what 2.18 is talking about where the false teachers have these visions of angels and they're saying that, that uh, to be a first-class Christian citizen, you need to have these visions of angels in the heavenly temple. Um, and Paul is saying they have no need of special visions of angels nor worship of angels to enrich the wisdom they already possess in Jesus. They've got enough wisdom in Jesus. They don't need the false teacher's wisdom. They don't need the false teacher's uh, uh, special, amazing, charismatic experience in the heavenly temple because they've got all the temple uh, experience and fellowship they need in Christ. And that's why Paul talks about all these uh, temple illusions in Christ and in the church uh, before he reaches the false teacher's view of the temple in 2.18. He wants to assure them they have all they need in the temple in Christ. So in the light of these preceding references to the temple, especially in 2.18, part of the point here would be that believers in their worship have no need then of uh, uh, special visions of angels or worship of angels in whom their temple worship consists. In this respect, the notion of the Word of Christ dwelling in believers in our passage may convey the notion of Christ's Word dwelling in the church community as His temple in development of chapter 1, verse 19, and chapter 2 and verse 9, which I isolate as temple illusions. Uh, since enoikeo in our passage is part of the same word group and semantic domain as katoikeo that's used in both chapter um, uh, 1 and verse 19 and chapter 2 and verse 9. In fact, uh, enoikeo only occurs four times in the New Testament. One of those times, it's an explicit temple reference, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 16. The idea would be that Christ's presence dwells in His earthly temple community through His Word. This is in line with the Old Testament temple being the typical place of God's revelatory Word. Now, all of this points to the three terms in Colossians 3.16 uh, to be referring to actual Old Testament psalms. Um, so psalms, songs, and hymns composed uh, on the basis of such psalms. Uh, in other words, these may be psalms from the Old Testament or a composition of, of combining different parts of the psalms. Uh, and this would now be related to the new revelation of Christ. Since all three words refer to Old Testament psalms, 
there is no need to try to find distinct meaning among them. So typically, if you read the commentators or any articles on this passage, you will typically, in fact, virtually universally find uh, they try to make a distinction of meaning. They admit that, that psalmos is psalms, but the other two words uh, have different meanings. Um, as we saw above, Paul uh, says, quote, letting the word of Christ dwell within you, end quote, takes place by means of, or better, in the manner of, teaching and admonishing in Old Testament Psalms. The Old Testament Psalms are now viewed to be the very word of Christ. Again, commentators typically see uh, that, that Psalms refer to Old Testament Psalms, but they'll see the following two words, hymns and songs, to be Christian compositions, new Christian compositions, not related to the Psalms and often uh, uh, seen as sometimes spontaneously uh, sung uh, as in light of the context of 1 Corinthians 14 where you have these spontaneous uh, uh, psalms and hymns and teachings, etc. Um, now, I, I just uh, discovered, I had a student in my office and he said, uh, are you going to ETS? I said, yes. And he said, oh, what are you talking on? So I told him. And he said, oh, I just got finished reading uh, an article by R. Ward, W-A-R-D, called Psalm Singing in Scripture. Um, and it's in a book, uh, edited book, called Sing a, Sing a New Song, Recovering Psalm Singing for the 21st Century, Grand Rapids Reformation Heritage, edited by uh, Joel Beakey and uh, A.T. Selvaggio. Um, and uh, he... Uh, had made the observation um, back in um, 2010. It's the only one who I've seen to do this, uh, that Psalm 75.1 did have the three same words. But then he goes on and he says uh, the terms cannot be limited to the Psalms because you do have psalmos in 1 Corinthians 14.26, which he says is a spontaneously inspired Psalm, and so probably it's not. It's it's probably just a new Christian composition composed uh, spontaneously by the Spirit. But I I don't see why this still could not be a psalm. Why can't the Spirit inspire a psalm or a composition based on different parts of psalms? I don't see why this would uh, necessarily be something other than in the genre of the psalms. So. Um, uh, he's the closest uh, I've seen um, uh, in the commentary literature and the periodical literature. No, no one else has come close to observing that. Um, so I guess it's nice to have one person at least uh, showing that you're not too far out on the limb. Uh, it's going to be cut off. So all of this points to the three terms then in Colossians 3.16 as an allusion to those two psalms as a synecdoche for all the psalms. Now, the wisdom of 128 likewise originates from the same sources, though we've seen that Christ is the zenith point of the Old Testament revelation of God's wisdom. Again, that's chapter 2 and verse 3. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So he's the zenith point. Uh, he, he is the ultimate wisdom of God that the wisdom of Proverbs pointed to. So that this older revelation of wisdom in the Old Testament must be seen through a Christ-centered lens. And this is just why Colossians 3.16 says that the word of Christ is expressed in Old Testament, quote, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Christ 
is the full source of wisdom. Colossians 2.3. Uh, so that in all wisdom in 3.16 refers to Christ's wisdom and conveys the Christocentrically wise manner of the teaching and admonishing. Christ is the full divine revelation to which the Old Testament pointed since it was incomplete without His coming. And the same is true with the temple allusions. Uh, these are allusions to the temple in the Old Testament, to the physical temple in some ways. And Christ is now the incarnate substantiation typologically of everything those physical temples pointed to. Now, the revelatory nature of these songs, and this is a conference on the Holy Spirit, um, the revelatory nature of these songs is expressed with the adjective spiritual, pneumatikos. Uh, again, listen to Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, uh, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And so it's that phrase, uh, spiritual uh, uh, songs, pneumatica, hodice pneumatikais, uh, that is the phrase. Uh, now we saw in one nine. Have I alluded to that yet? Well, I did in the commentary, but at any rate, and I've discussed it. Uh, but remember that that one nine uh, speaks of Paul's prayer, and um, let's see if I can call that up again real quickly. I'll just go to it. Um, yes, there in one nine, Paul prays. For this reason also, we from the day we've heard of it do not cease praying in behalf of you and making requests in order that you should be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and pneumatiki, pneumatike, uh, understanding, spiritual understanding. Um, so, that phrase, all spiritual wisdom and understanding, the adjective there, uh, pneumatikos, refers to God's Spirit who imparts wisdom and understanding. The same is probably the case here with the spiritual songs and by implication, the psalms and the hymns. They are, uh, uh, you get understanding from them uh, how it's imparted uh, by the Spirit or they are inspired by the Spirit. God's or Christ's Spirit inspires such Old Testament songs which are now sung by the New Covenant community. Now, if you do a word study on pneumatikos, 24 times in Paul, it has the idea of uh, something being, quote, of, from, given, or inspired by the Holy Spirit. For example, we would translate Colossians 1.19, in all spirit-given wisdom and understanding. So Christopher Beetham in his book on Echoes of Scripture in, uh, Paul, in, in Colossians, uh, Bedag makes that point, so does Dunn, and, and as well as Gordon Fee. Um, so this is a uh, this really is referring to the spirit then, the spirit giving uh, uh, wisdom, and in this case the spirit inspiring um, the the songs. So this affirms the divine inspiration of the psalter, and just as verse fifteen concluded with thanksgiving, so does verse sixteen, quote singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. End quote. The word translated thankfulness in Verse 16, however, is chorus, which often means grace, favor, or gratitude, or gift. And uh, this is not uh, Eucharistos, as at the end of verse 15, 
Perhaps the reason for the slight change is to underscore the same thing that was concluded about thanksgiving in verse 15. That is, it's assumed that what is being given thanks and gratitude for, and here it's Christ's word in the Psalms, is a gift of God's grace. The adverbial participial phrase singing is most likely syntactically parallel with the participles teaching and admonishing, um, that is with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And this participle singing likewise modifies indwell at the beginning of the verse. And like the other two participles, it indicates the manner in which Christ's word is to dwell in the saints. These participles also carry an imperatival sense. They're not bare uh, imperatives as some want to argue. But since they're modifying an imperative, they carry that sense of the imperative. They still function adverbially, but they still have an imperatival framework contextually. Um, as is the case uh, with the participles in verse um, 13. Um, well, mark that out. So Paul is mandating teaching, admonishing, and singing hymns. Though we cannot say that Paul would have said that we're limited to psalms, uh, only psalms can be uh, taught and admonished with and sung. But certainly he's mandating at least that psalms be included in teaching and in admonishing and singing. Now the worship of verse 16 begins with the phrase, quote, the word of Christ and ends with to God. Let me read it again. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, uh, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So, Word of Christ and God, it's bounded with those two. And so, it indicates the Christ-centered and God-centered focus of this worship. Now, verse 16 places squarely on the shoulders of each Christian the responsibility to, quote, teach and, admonishing, and admonish one another through psalm-based material and to sing psalmic hymns to God. This does not mean that there was not a hierarchy of elder teachers in the Colossian church, as some commentators conclude. Um, as we find in the pastoral epistles, we find that hierarchy. But it, only, it means only that there is a place for each believer, teaching and admonishing other believers through Christ's Word. Now, there are some uh, denominations that the pastor is almost a priest and um, does everything, uh, there are others that go the other way. You wonder even if there maybe is a pastor. And then you have churches in between. Um, so, um, by doing this, uh, as each believer does this, uh, they would prevent one another from being lured into the false teaching that may be captivating some of the group, especially a teaching focusing on mystical experiences instead of Christ-centered instruction. The end.